0: We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We are just two
1: guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our
0: experience.
1: Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Everybody, what's up? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are watching or listening to The Other Side of Hell podcast. I knew you were going to say podcast. <laughs> it's because that's <laughs> what we are. You always do that. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Today we have a... Uh, very. A very. You say again. Very. Very. So many very special guests. Um, we are glad to have her here. She's joined us all the way from... Minnesota via Zoom, Blair. Welcome to the show. Hi, Blair.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for being here, Blair. We decided to have you on the show because uh, you uh, have a pretty, uh, pretty active Instagram um, sober activist, and uh, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of what you do, a lot of the work you're doing on other shows. And, uh, some of the we blogs want, that you've written we wanted to
0: get a piece of it
1: and we, yeah, like everybody <laughs> gets a piece of Blair. We want, we want our turn. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and uh, I'm excited to talk to, uh, to you today. Yeah. So how are things in Minnesota?
2: They are cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I got my little heater here next to me. Um, I think it's oh, I want to say it was like negative three when I was out earlier today, but um, didn't even have my didn't even have my coat zipped up. You know, a true Minnesotan.
1: Yeah, yeah, true Minnesotan. Because you don't even care, <laughs>
2: right? Because <laughs> you're a rebel.
1: You're a rebel. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, I, you must be getting all of our cold weather because we're doing pretty all right here. Yeah, it feels nice. it feels a lot like spring here, but um, mm-hmm. Blair, let's uh, we you, we want to let everybody know up front we have uh, your war story. Today, so we're going to be hearing uh, from Blair, and uh, and one of the topics that we were able to pull from your war story, which um, we really really love, by the way, um, is uh, emotional hangover. Um, you talk a lot in your story about um, some of the consequences that came as a result of your drinking, and and one of the points that you talked about was the emotional hangover, and I think it's worth discussing um, because. I think that you know, oftentimes when we think about what's happening to us the day after we drink, um, it's pretty easy to think about you know uh, the rundown nature of how we feel physically, and um, and a lot of those consequences. But what we don't really talk about sometimes is the emotional hangover. So let me let me just ask you, Blair. Um, For you, what exactly does that mean? Like when you say an emotional hangover, like what does that look like for you?
2: Yeah, for me, um, the emotional hangover came after the physical hangover. Um, So like, you know, when you wake up the next morning, you feel like crap. Maybe you're still a little buzzed. I always usually was Mm because I was drinking late into the night and a lot. So a little buzz still that wears off. You get physically sick. And then it's almost like the next day or the next two days after that, where you're still kind of feeling a little sick to your stomach, but that's kind of gone. And now I'm just like regret, uh, you know, why did I do this again? Like here we are again. Like they don't deserve me. me. Like, why can't I just have a couple drinks? You know, like continuously like going over in my head like how bad of a person I am but, yeah, for the drinking.
0: Negative self-talk.
2: Yeah, right. And that wasn't always for me. It was more towards the end after I had my son. I didn't have that going on when I was younger in my 20s. I didn't notice that as much. So I don't know if it's just old age. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I think there comes a point um, sort of in each of our journeys. I, and I remember, you know, hearing it in yours. I know it in Willie's. I know it in mine where where we can no longer deny that we don't drink like normal people. Um, For a long time, like in in my own story, I just figured that this was how people drank. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that what I was doing was so abnormal, right? Um, And once we sort of have that realization that, that, hey, dude, like this, this isn't normal. And you're starting to have consequences. Things are starting to... Uh, to go in a negative way every time that I drink, it becomes really, really easy to sit in that guilt of shame. And like when we engage in that behavior, um, it comes with a new level of self-condemnation. Um, and I think that that's a lot of what that emotional hangover is is just the guilt and shame and and a lot of the the words that you use to get or the, the words that you use just now, are things that, you know, like I can totally tie in to every sort of um, mental uh, mental problem that I've ever had, right? Um, it's this regret. Why why me? Like, how did I do this again? Like, they don't deserve me. Um, these are all things that, you know, as a depressed person, you can feel. And so I think that, you know, it, it stands to reason that a lot of times in this instance when we have these emotional hangovers that that's exactly sort of what we're doing is we're just in this depressive state. Um, And then I wanna talk about like what happens after because somewhere, somewhere that's not enough, right? That still is not enough um, to prevent us from from drinking again. So um, how often or in your own story, Blair, did you find that, uh, how, how long would that feeling last for you? I guess there's mm-hmm. a good question is, is how long will you be stuck in the emotional hangover before you're reaching for the next drink?
2: Yeah. So it was a pretty, uh, typical cycle, um, towards the end. And I say towards the end, because like in my twenties, um, you know, it was like normal to kind of party and like go all out and binge drink and whatever because everybody was doing it but like towards the end would be like you know in my 30s after I had my son that kind of thing um that's when I really started feeling those feelings and so like the two days of maybe sick a day and a half of physical sickness maybe a day or two of the emotional hangover into like you know if I drank on Friday it'd be into Monday Tuesday maybe and then it's kind of worn off and then I kind of forget about it and then it's like oh Friday again you know it's Friday (laughs) again that's the end of the work week like let's go get some booze and and do it all over again. Um so so that was kind of the the cycle that happened like every every weekend I would go through the week and be fine not drink and then and Friday comes along and there we are again.
1: Right. Yeah, and it leads us all a lot into a lot of questioning about ourselves. Where we just uh you know, we we just wonder like what the hell is going on? But for me, like I was so quick to just the 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 most surefire way for me to, to deal with the emotional hangover was to, to do what I had done with everything else. And that was to drink. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, I remember, um, I,
0: I, I kind of remember, uh, hearing for the first time that drinking helped a hangover. Right. And it was such a Mm. phenomenon from, because I would, I would drink and I would party at a young age, like, like you were talking about. and, wouldn't feel great. I didn't necessarily have a emotional hangover back then um, because I didn't have a lot of guilt or anything associated with me trying to to manage my alcoholism, right? At that age, at that stage, it was still a party and it was still fun. However, I was starting to feel the effects of, like, the the alcohol poisoning and, and those types of things. And, and I remember... It just seemed so counterintuitive, but I tried it anyway and it worked, right? Somebody had been like, if you feel like shit, drink. And that <laughs> that helps. And it did. Right. Like hair of the dog, little yeah.
1: bloody yeah. Mary in the morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Have a red beer in the morning and and that will help cure your hangover. But the the problem with that is, is it it continued the perpetual cycle, right? And, right. And so then we end up in this state of oblivion where no longer are we feeling the hangover because we can't stand the emotional hangover that comes along with the promise that we made that the last day that we drank and had an emotional hangover, I am not going to do that again. And then like Blair was talking about, I forgot yeah. that I was not going to do that again because you know a day or two or an hour or three or whatever, however long it took, I was back in the, in the
1: bottle again. mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know for me, like, uh, what, what I, what I hear, what we hear a lot is that uh, I'm a quick forgetter, right? Yeah. My like forgetter's I'm, broken. I'm, I'm a hard, I'm a hard learner and a quick forgetter. And, uh, I mean, let me, let me ask, let me ask you, Blair, did you, did you, did you find yourself with any of these emotional problems like before, um, before alcohol was alcohol ever an escape for you or was it, strictly like a social thing. Like, did you use alcohol to numb your, your feelings to escape your problems? Was that sort of your MO or was it a little bit different for you?
2: Um, I think to start off, it was like definitely a social thing. Um, and you know, since I drank from 16 or 17 to 32, there's those age that ages, those ages in my twenties, those years in my twenties were like, you kind of figure out who you are and like, maybe those feelings of like anxiety or you know um how to how to manage your emotions like you learn Mm. that stuff and so like i didn't learn that um so i don't know if i would have had if i didn't drink so much in my 20s if i would have had those feelings like to numb because i did use alcohol to like you know when you're in a bad mood when you're gonna celebrate when you're mourning when you're i mean you use it for everything i didn't use it like you know, you have a bad day, you, you go have a beer or whatever, or a friend has a bad day. You go with them to have a beer, you know? So like um, I definitely have felt more anxious feelings since quitting drinking. Mm -hmm. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if, and I, and I think it was, it could have been like a social, like being comfortable around people because I don't like being around a lot of people now. Um, I'm not like uncomfortable. It's just like, I prefer not. Um, So yeah, it's kind of a weird, I, I always wonder, um, but not really, no. I didn't I don't think I I think I more used it as a social lubricant. Yeah,
0: those one of the things that you touch on and we wrote down from your story. It was like drinking and right. drinking and yeah. drinking and volleyball, drinking and Christmas party, drinking and dinner. What yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it was it was always around. And I and I think I totally like relate with you when you talk about um you know using it as a social aspect because it's true like even now I think that I wonder too like if some of that anxiety like for example like we're shooting this on Super Bowl Sunday yeah. um and Super Bowl Sunday for me was a, an opportunity to drink drinking holiday um, and even if it wasn't you know like I'm going to get blitzed it was we're going to go watch the Super Bowl and drink right drink. um and now like I I don't have the same um, desire to engage in that behavior. And even though I think some of the anxiety comes from just this general way of being that this state that Cameron often finds himself in, which may be a reason why I was drinking, like you said. um, But I also think that some of the anxiety may come from the fact that there will be alcohol there. And, you know, like what what will my response be or what what my, the unknown that sort of surrounds that circumstance? So, you know, as we're talking about it, I'm like thinking to myself, like it, there's so many layers to to that anxiety that that, that could be um, as a result of me stopping drinking. But it is a path, right? It is like a process, like figuring out how we deal with these emotions now in sobriety Mm -hmm. like how has that been for you because i know you touched in your story like there's been you know you're almost four years sober now and uh and you talk a little bit about man there's things i'm still trying to figure out like after four years sober um Mm -hmm. what would you say it's like for you now like navigating all that
2: stuff um I eat a lot of cookies.
0: Ooh. <laughs> they, they, they call them biscuits in Europe. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> Are they still cookies um, in Minnesota?
2: They're cookies in Minnesota. Yes. <laughs> um, no. So like I started going to therapy last year only. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's only been a year since I've been doing that. Um, and you know, I'm pretty, I'm okay when my, when everything's kind of like even, and then, um, when things go a little bit out of my control, like I have a control thing, like where I like to be in control. I like to know what's next. I like to plan what's next and like tell people what to do, you know? And, um, I don't know if that's just keeping myself safe or, or what that is, but whenever anything goes away from, from that, then I kind of, I freak out a little bit and have to sometimes just take some deep breaths or, you know, just like say, you know, today's over, let's just go to bed and we'll start again tomorrow. That's like one of my favorites is sleep, <laughs> uh, or, you know, just like a hot shower, things like that. Um, cause yeah, we don't have booze now to, to, to quick numb us. Um, uh, and it would have been nice if it was just a, a quick numb and I could have a couple and be done, but guess what? A, a quick numb turns into a, uh, you know, midnight blackout, um, night before work or whatever. So.
1: Yeah. Every time. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is like, I, I have people in my life who will say things like, "Oh man, it's been a hard day. like I could use a glass of wine and and I'll think to myself like, wow, that uh, that that's an interesting concept that you can have a glass of wine <laughs> after an emotional day and have that, you know, actually not lead to super super negative consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know in my experience I there was never a time that I could just have a drink. So when I hear other people talk about having a drink to take the edge off or or something of like that, I I don't know. I think there is there is maybe a part of me still that um I mean, I have no illusions, right? And I have no illusions that I can do that, but there might still be a part of me that um, that is envious that that's not something that I'm able to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, totally. and so that being said, like I, I see what I see happening a lot now. And I, I worry about a little bit is some of this, uh, some of like the mommy wine culture that we'll see on like Instagram or Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I see like t-shirts and things like that where mommy needs her wine. Like, um, what, I mean, I know, and I know just because I've read some of your stuff, like your blog stuff that you have a certain opinion about that. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that it's worth discussing. Like what, can you just tell me in a general way, like sort of what your feelings about that are now that you are at where you're at, um, in your sobriety and the journey that you've had with, um, with your alcoholism?
2: Yeah. Um, I probably would have been one of those moms who thought that that was really funny, you know, to have like a a glass that says like mommy's sippy cup. (laughs) or or something like that and you know I could drive down to my the store just down the street from my house and there's a whole section that's like moms whatever and even dads too I mean there's like some dad things too Mm -hmm. Um, it's just a lot more more to moms and even to women but um, and my son was only 18 months old when I when I quit but like you know every stage of life has its reason for drinking and uh, you have kids now it's like well you deserve you deserve a drink because your kids are driving you nuts you know um and like oh that's the only way like uh, and that's kind of how they're selling it so um it's not the people who are drinking it's not the mom's fault you know i want to make sure that's clear like i'm not against moms who drink like if you're a mom and you want to have a glass of wine or whatever but like it's just the society is telling us that like that's what we have to do like that's how they're trying to like I wish people could just see that um, businesses are just and big alcohol is just trying to sell it that way. Like they're they're um, almost like just tricking everybody into buying into this mommy needs wine. Um, you know, it's not drinking alone if your kids are home. Like, have you heard that one? Like, that's just like cringe. It's so cringy. Mm. I'm hoping that that soon it gets kind of like, you um, is taboo the word? I don't know. Like just cringy, like for everyone where it's like, okay, don't wear a shirt that says that that's kind of icky. Like, do you want to really, your kids can read, like, you know, do you want them to, to think that you need this thing, um, in order to be around them? You know, um, Mm -hmm. I could go on all day about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that you're absolutely right. Like I, it's it's crazy to me to think that that's sort of the message that we're sending is that like hey like this is how you deal with those problems like if you are super stressed or um you're angry or um your kids are um you know causing you any sort of negative emotion hey have a glass of wine you know um i think that it's it's dangerous um because here we are right like however far down the road trying to figure out how to deal with our emotions without that, because that's what we did for so long. Um, So to think that we're actually going out of our way um, to instill that message in our youth is kind of frightening, kind of messed up. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things in society that we can look at and, and see are very, very similar, but obviously because of, the past that we have, this is something that's very close to us, um, and so I think that I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I, it would be great if it if it wasn't a thing. Yeah,
0: it's hard. It's hard to navigate because alcoholism, alcoholism doesn't care, right? <laughs> like, like, and and we've seen it on the show. We've heard so many stories of mothers that that really do love their children that are trapped in the cycle of alcoholism, and so. I think, I, you know, I agree with, with Blair when she says, you know, they're selling this, this identity, this false identity of, you know, buy our wine versus buy your time with your children, you know. Um, mm. It's kind of a, it, it's, it's a, it's a sad place to be, and I, I, but I can identify with that, right? Because when I'm in the alcoholism, uh, it's easier for me to embrace the taboo, if you will, and say that that thing is okay, so that I don't have to quit, right? Because uh, yeah. Cam- Cameron told me something that was, I, I've been using it all the time. And I say it every chance I get, you know, I have a—I have a disease that, that wants me dead, but it will settle for me being drunk, right? <laughs> and so wow. I have this brain designed to keep me alive with a mind that wants to kill me. and And I have to learn to navigate through that stuff through, you know, people like you with your blog and, and and just having these conversations, and you know, maybe when this stuff comes up, there there might be something I can say, or somewhere we can direct them, or something like that, so that it kind of helps one person at a time, or, or however we can, right? Cameron. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> like I just, uh, yeah. I, um, you know, Willie Willie mentioned your blog. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what? Uh, what people might be able to find, um, some of the topics or pages that you've written, um, yeah. in your blog.
2: So, um, I don't actually have like my own blog. I don't know why, probably cause I have trouble coming up with ideas, but I, I write for a lot of other places. Like, um, I've written for scary mommy. It's an online publication. I've Written one for uh, Insider, Business Insider. That was about drinking. Um, And there's some other websites um, that I've just written about um, drinking. And I mean, I write about whatever, but like, that's kind of a big, I mean, it's very easy for me to write about that because that's what I've lived through. You know, I could sit down and write anything up that's on my mind. And I think I use my Instagram for that too. Um, So a lot of my posts, you know, that I'll just like make a statement and then I'll just write about it. You know and so i think um because those kind of things helped me when i first quit drinking and so i see that they're just like i'm getting comments like you know oh that's so relatable like that's exactly how i feel like that's my life that i lived and so like that kind of is what keeps me going and writing and um posting and things like that and doing things like this is because these things were the things that helped me so i know that they're just like um helping. I mean, I know I've already helped one person, so that's more than enough, you know, now, but, um, yeah, so it's really cool. Kind of full circle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and we hear that in your story too. You talk about, um, you know, having reached out to somebody for help mm-hmm. and, uh, and then getting that help. And now you're in a position where you're able to do that as well. Like, I kind of want to touch on just for one moment. Um, the fact that like, we we are an all pathways podcast. Like there's nobody that has a monopoly on sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, oftentimes we talk about sobriety from a 12 step recovery standpoint because that's what how we got sober. That's that's the program that we work and that's what we do. Um, you yourself are not a 12 step person, um, but what what I found interesting when listening to your story is that there's so many common elements that that, um, that are necessary in getting sober, whether you do it through a 12 step program, whether you do it, you know, on your own, whether you do it with the help of a mentor, whether you do it in a rehab facility, like there seems to be so many common elements. And one of those is when you were talking in your story about, um, the person that you reached out to in order to, um, ask for help, um, they sort of inundated you with all this different material and information um, and resources that you could look to in order to facilitate your sobriety. Well, in AA, we call that a sponsor, right? And so I think that it's it's incredible to me that sort of those same elements are still there. Um, We still look to others who have been to where we've been. Um, we ask for help. We allow that help to happen. Um, and, and we, you know, hopefully get to a point in our recovery where we can then be the person that others will turn to. And, um, and I love what you're doing with, um, with your writing, um, because now people have, You know your resources to turn to in order to facilitate their own sobriety and i don't know what it's like to be a mother you know who who had to get sober um but you do and if i ever have somebody that's a single mother that uh or a mother in general that needs help getting sober i can say hey why don't you talk to blair like blair's been there blair knows what that's like And uh, and I think that that's so important. And it's why we're casting such a wide net on this show um, to cover all of our bases, because recovery or alcoholism has no is no respecter of persons. Right. Right. It it does not discriminate. Um, It can affect anybody and everybody. And it does. Um, And uh, and I just think, you know, what you're doing is great and I really appreciate it. So now that I've got that out of the way, <laughs> you're awesome <laughs> that's that's, what, that's a compliment that's basically the sum of Thank what you. I just said is is you're absolutely amazing, <laughs> um, and I really really appreciate it um, but no, I mean, I think one thing that's important too when we're sort of navigating um, some of our some of our uh, sobriety and and dealing with. Um, these emotions in a new and healthy way It's important for us to have patience with ourselves um, and uh, and I know that in my journey that's not always easy I'm so quick to um, to beat myself up um, uh, Let me ask you have you found, I guess writing for you is a, is a way to uh, to really sort of process some of these thoughts. Are you able to communicate with people who maybe are not alcoholics in, in a way that uh, that will have them, you know, understanding what it is you're going through? Or do you find that really only other alcoholics are responding to the things that you're writing?
2: Um so I don't consider myself an alcoholic. I use the term alcohol free for the most part. Um, Let's put that out there. Um, But you know, my husband doesn't drink and he, he never, he drank when he was like in high school, but then never, never was a drinker. Um, And so I think, I think for me, like learning about um, how alcohol affects everyone differently. Like I didn't know that. And so like, you know, I thought, like you said earlier, that, you know, like everybody was drinking like, like I was and everybody was having a good time. Like I was, But I didn't realize that like, it affects us all differently. And so that's why I drink so much more, so much differently. And I think explaining that to people kind of like some of the science behind it, like, yeah, well, did you know this? And then people like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, because people are so quick to kind of judge um, people who are normal drinkers, whatever that is, um, are so quick to kind of assume something if you say yeah i quit drinking um they don't you know they think oh geez you really blew up your life and you got a huge problem and boy you you know that's really you know you suck (laughs) (laughs) and so like just explaining that like no it's just like i can't i my brain literally will not let me have like one or two drinks it wants more every that's just my brain so like the kind of like it wasn't my choice um you know i'm not choosing to black out every night like (laughs) you know, like if I could Mm -hmm. decide to do that, then, then I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't think, but, um, you know, so I think just explaining it that way is a little bit easier. Um, I have a lot of friends, my friends are very supportive, um, and most of them still drink. Um, and so they'll listen to the podcasts and they'll, they'll, uh, some of them follow me on Instagram. They'll watch my, you know, IG lives and things like that. And so, um, I do get people who are, who are just still just, drinking kind of normally, it's not causing them any problem who are like, you know, yeah, you, that makes sense. Like I, I see that now, or yeah, I do notice this in myself, you know, they Mm -hmm. notice some things about their own drinking. Um, And so just like, I think just being open and loud and talking about it. um, And not everybody has to do that. Not everybody's loud mouth like I am, but you know, like um, because of the fact that I'm okay with that and like just putting it all out there. Um, I think that's, that I, I'm almost like, I need to do that. I have to do that now because I'm okay with doing it. So like, I'll keep doing that.
0: Yeah. I think, I think you bring up an interesting point that, that, that is, that needs to be said is, you know, that imagery that goes along with a person that, that drinks too much. And I, I, I love that, uh, you're breaking that stigma because a lot of times yeah. if you do have a problem with, with drinking, we get what, what we call, you know, the brown bag drinker or the under the yeah. bridge alcoholic. And so mm-hmm. uh, people will, will automatically assume that if you're not drinking because you have a drinking problem, then like you said, oh, obviously you burned your life to the ground or mm-hmm. you can't be that because you can't have a drinking problem because look at your house, you know, look at you, mm-hmm. look at your career. You, you can't still have a career if you have a drinking problem. It's a self-will problem. Why don't you just quit? And yeah. And what you just said is so true. So many of us. Have tried to just quit we've tried to just moderate we've tried to, to to give it up and and found ourselves back in it because of like you said the way that we our brains are wired to obsess once we take one it's over for us and so we're not normal drinkers and that's obvious in the way we behave not not everybody takes a drink and blacks out and and to be able to explain that uh to you know the person that's not a blackout drinker i think is, is an amazing gift and i think it's important to be able mm-hmm. to put it out there so that um the people that are still scared that are being black that are blackout drinkers that are afraid to come forward with it because they do still have the house or they do still have the stigma yeah. of, the, mm-hmm. of the brown bottle mm-hmm. drinker you know and you being able to put that out there so that they have a safe place to go and letting them know that like no you don't have to go to alcoholics anonymous no you don't have to go to treatment no um, uh, there, the commonalities are like, let's support each other. You know, let's Mm -hmm. talk about these things. Let's talk about the signs of it. Let's talk about the things that happened to me that you might be able to relate with so that I can give you the resources that worked for me. And these resources might work for you as well. I love
2: that. Exactly. Yeah. I've, have you heard the, the quote or whatever it is saying where it says, uh, stop asking directions to places they've never been.
0: I like, haven't heard that, but I like it. Yeah. you neither. know,
2: that makes total sense though. Like you wouldn't go ask somebody who's just a normal drinker. Like, how do I stop drinking?
0: Right. Right. You well, know, so,
2: so it's like a good, like that support needs to be there. That um, connection with somebody who gets it.
1: Yeah. Well, because nobody gets it like another alcoholic gets it. Like, um, I, I know that when I, well, or another alcohol free person and, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I want to be, you know, like, Thank if, you. If, yeah, if, so. yeah, and absolutely. Like it, it it doesn't matter what you call it because it's all right. sort of the same thing. Um, yeah. But, but absolutely. I, I think that, you know, when I personally, when I was going to treatment, I had um, somebody in there that had been there, right. That, that was giving me instruction um, as somebody with 20 years sober. And then I had another person who was giving me the same instruction um, as somebody who never identified as having a problem with drugs or alcohol and the person that I'm listening to, even though they're both giving me the same instruction is the person that's been there before. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that is important and I, and I, and I really appreciate what you're saying now because, um, I think that what we're really talking about is sort of recovering out loud, right? Um, And using your Instagram profile, uh, we obviously have a a podcast um, that we put ourselves out there in such a way in in hopes that somebody will see what it is that we're doing here and see that um, that other people have been there, um, that they can get better and that we all have to navigate this stuff together. Um, and there's more similarities yeah. than there are differences um so it doesn't matter whether you're twelve step, whether you're alcohol free, whether you're um you know re- reaction recovery, or any of those others like getting sober is is something that we cannot do alone. um That's one thing that was made abundantly clear in my own journey is every time I tried to do it by myself, <laughs> I fucked it up more. You know, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, and that's one thing I really appreciated in your story is that you got to this point where, and, and we'll let people listen to it here in a sec, but something happened that was not uncommon for you, right? Um, something, that, something happened that had happened, you know, uh, uh, uh many times before, and for whatever reason on this time, on this day, on this instance, it hit you a little different. And you said, okay, I got to do something. And you asked somebody for help. And I think that, um, that in and of itself is just, you know, so much courage in that decision. And and I think that while it feels at the time, like I know for me, like it felt like utter defeat, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can look back and say, no, dude, like, that was, that took a lot of courage to ask for help because yeah. mm-hmm. nobody wants mm-hmm. to freaking be the, the guy that needs help. Um, so, yeah, I just think that it's important that we do this in a way, um, loudly, openly, like you said, uh, where other people can see that uh, that, that recovery is possible. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Well, and with that, uh, I think now might be a good time to, to have everybody listen to your story, Blair. Um, so with that, let's do it. This is Blair's War Story. This week's War Story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good coffee. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwashed Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the WSLR. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what you're for. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code Side at BrainwashedCoffeeCo.com. Clean your beans with Brainwashed. And without further ado, here is this week's first story.
2: Okay, so. Um So I just, I first, um, I first was around alcohol when I was probably in elementary school. I I think, um, my dad, um, and I would always go up North. I live in Minnesota and I always would grow, go up North fishing with him in the summer. And I do remember it just being around. I don't ever remember there being, um, Any times where like I noticed out of control drinking or too much drinking or anything like that. Um, but I'm sure there was, um, that was what kind of like the guys did, you know, everybody went out fishing and then, uh, you know, drink while you're fishing and then go out to dinner and then you drink at the bar and, and things like that. So I was in a bar at a young age. Um, but really it was only during the summer, um, those times when I would go up with my dad. Um, and then, Um, My dad did have a problem with alcohol as well, um, which for me, wasn't really at the forefront growing up. Um, It was something that I kind of knew was there, but um, it was kind of hidden um, and it was kind of off and on, like it wasn't a constant thing. Um, He would quit and start again and quit and start again. Um, And so... Um, I get that from him. (laughs) And, um, then I didn't drink, um, until I was about 16 or 17 was the first time that I drank. And that was, um, because I was in, um, sports in high school while I played basketball and it was really easy to get caught, which I did. Um, but it was really easy to get caught in my school. So, um, I didn't drink, um, until a little bit late, I guess I. It seems like later to me, maybe it's not really later, <laughs> um, end of high school, I guess. And um, I did get caught, you know, drinking in high school. I had to sit out of basketball for two weeks, um, normal high school things, nothing too, um, too wild, I guess. Um, and then when I um, went to college, that's really where I hit it hard. It was my first time being away from home. Um, you know, I had, I had money. My parents were paying, you know, for school and, um, I can't remember if I had a job. I'm sure I had just some sort of part-time job, but anyways, I, I was in school to drink. Like I wasn't in school to go to school. It was like, we're free from our parents. We are, um, we're here to have fun. And, uh, you know, the people that I lived around, it was the same. So it was, I found my, my crew right away. And many of these people that are very good friends with still today. These are some of my best friends that I've met those first few years of college. Um, but, um, we lived in like these, um, apartment buildings that were just for the college. Um, so it wasn't like a dorm where you had like, um, I don't even, I've never lived in a dorm, so I don't know what those are called they're called something like the person that runs the dorm. There was nobody running anything. It was just all these like 18, 19, 20, uh, probably up to 23, maybe year olds that were living in this apartment building. Um, just kind of a free for all. Right. And so, um, hit it hard, real hard, partied a lot, um, had lots of parties, you know, was the one who always knew where the parties were, um, frequent blackouts. And that was kind of blacking out was kind of just the thing that was like always happening. It didn't happen every time, but, um, I would say the majority of the time there was blackouts or those brownouts where like, I don't remember, you know, parts of the night or the next morning, someone says, do you remember this happening? And, oh yeah, I do remember kind of, you know, part of that happening. And, um, but I never thought that it was out of control because everybody else was doing it too. You know, um, same with when I was in high school, I mean, people were drinking. So that's, it was normal to me and college people were drinking the same amount that I was drinking. We were, you know, all playing the drinking games and um, doing all those things that, you know, you do in college. Um, So I fit in really well. Um, I didn't really do anything. Like I said that anyone else wasn't doing. Um, But then once we grew up and people were, you know, graduating out of, graduating college, getting jobs, Um, It took me a little bit longer because I still, you know, wanted to kind of stay in that party life. Um, and I did, I was very good at that party life. (laughs) Um, and so it took me a little bit longer to get out of college, but, um, I did notice that, um, my drinking drinking was a little bit different. That's kind of when I first noticed that my drinking was different because other people could go, um, go out for drinks, but then want to go home at, you know, 10 or 11. And I didn't like, I didn't see the point of that. Like, what's the point of going home? The bars stay open till two, you know, and then then we're going to go to an after bar. Like, why are we not keeping on drinking? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. And so, um, and I, ne- I didn't notice this at the time. Like at the time I wasn't like, oh wow, I'm drinking differently than everybody else. This is, this is concerning. It was just like, this is, this is fun. I'm partying. And of course I would find the people that would be those people who would want to do that with me, you know? So Um, then, um, throughout like these, my twenties, I guess, um, I had lots of moments that would be, uh, moments of times where I probably should have, uh, noticed that alcohol was a problem, you know, uh, ER visits, um, lots of falling down, um, arguing with people, um, just belligerent behavior. I got a DWI when I was 25, um, had to spend two nights in jail for that. Um, I blew so high, so that's why I had to stay two nights before I went to court. Um, and that was like, that was horrible. Like, I am not, not that anyone fits in, in a jail, but I do not, (laughs) I'm not a person that fits in. I stick out like a sore thumb, kept to myself, you know? Um, and even after that, I mean, I think I, I refrained from going to the bars for, for a few months, but I, I think I was just scared to get caught. It wasn't that I was like, oh, maybe I should stop drinking. Um, it was always like, I was always going to go back to drinking. So, um, and I did, Um, that was the only time I ever got in trouble with the law, but there were um, countless other, other, you know, kind of bottomy moments, I guess. Um, And then I I met my husband just before I got my DWI and um, he does not drink and he, you know, stuck, stuck with me through all of these, like, I suppose I was 25 to 32 when I quit. Um, and, um, he just kind of thought it was normal too, because he was around people that drank kind of the same way he, he knew, he tells me now that I, he knew that I drank a little bit more than everybody else that I got drunk a lot faster than everybody else. Um, he would notice right away when I was getting drunk, you know, quicker than everybody else. But, um, so then we had our son when I was 30, I got pregnant and I had no problem, um, quitting quitting drinking for the pregnancy it was easy to stop um as I look back now I kind of wonder like subconsciously was it like a nice break for me like did I feel like okay let's try this out I mean there was never a moment in my maybe in like a drunken state I was like I need to stop drinking or something like that but I there was never like a clarity any clear moments where I was like I really need to like reign this in. Or I was never one of those people who would say like, I need to drink water in between drinking or, you know, if anything, I'm not drinking water so I can get more drunk. Um, I'm not eating when we go out to dinner, I'm getting an appetizer so I can spend more money and, you know, on my booze and, uh, get drunk faster and whatever. So, um, but I had my son, And after I had him, I, you know, now was accountable for somebody else. I wasn't only accountable for myself, which I previously did not care about really at all. Um, but now I was accountable for him. And so, um, it was like this, um, I don't know. I, it was like, I had to kind of adjust my drinking, I guess. I didn't, I didn't slow down at all. It started back up slowly when I, after I had him, but it, you know, got right back to the point of, of wanting to drink more and more and more and more. So, um, after I had him, it was a lot more of, um, drinking at home, um, by myself. Um, I never really felt like I was trying to like numb feelings really, or anything like that with my drinking, it was always more of a social thing. And, you know, even when I was like home alone drinking, it was like a social thing. Like I would, you know, be on the phone with somebody or be texting somebody or, um messaging or doing something like hanging off my husband even though he doesn't drink. Um so um yeah so I I know a lot of people say that like it's like kind of like what's the the inner problem and maybe it is like the social being uncomfortable around uh just being uncomfortable without without that that buzz kind of um I'm still trying to figure that out. Almost four years later and I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) But um so let's see my Yes. I had my son got back to it. Um, still was just kind of drinking the same. It was a lot more, um, more and one sitting, I would say too, um, after I had him, um, in less time, I guess more, more drinking in less amount of time because I'm just sitting at home, you know, after work, like on a Friday, um, but still like blacking out and things like that. Um, and I just felt like my body felt a little different, like after I had him too, um, it wasn't, um, I don't know, your, your body obviously changes after you have a baby. So, um, it just felt different. And, um, uh, my husband would kind of like make these little rules for me. Um, you know, like, okay, well you can, if you're going to go to so-and-so's house tonight, you have to stay there. Like, I don't want you to come home in the middle of the night. Like, cause I don't, you know, I'm going to strike up a conversation with him at three o'clock in the morning or yell at him about something, you know, in the middle of the night. So, um, uh, and sometimes I would, I would follow those rules and sometimes I wouldn't, you know, um, I never still made rules for myself. I just kind of did what I did. And I thought like, Hey, this is how I drink. This is how it is. Um, I'm not going to try to moderate. I'm not going to try to change anything because this is just how it is. And I'm going to have to deal with this. Um, just always, right. Cause not drinking is not an option. We don't not drink. <laughs> um, and, um, Um, Yeah. After I had my son, um, like I said, I was just really um, held accountable to him now. And so that really made me kind of wake up in a way. Um, I think there was a lot more moments after I had him and I would be drinking where I would, um, you know, kind of consider like, what am I doing? Like, why am I continuing to do this? Um, and, and I was more of like a weekend binge drinker with, you know, some Sunday fun days in there, a thirsty Thursday, every so often. Um, but for the most part, I was going throughout the week, working, doing everything like normal, whatever. And then would just hit it hard when I drink. And I just couldn't, I just didn't want to stop when I drink, when I drink. Um, and, um, so then, um, there was one night where I um, was again, just drinking at home uh, my son was home in his room sleeping. My husband was away um, with friends and I got a little too drunk, which I would regularly do and uh, tripped, uh, tripped and over the baby gate and fell and broke a wine glass. Um, and, you know, this is not something that was anything out of the ordinary. This is something that would happen any other day of the week. It wasn't anything major in my life. Um, but that just so happens to be the last night that I drank. And I remember... Um, well, I don't know if it was the morning after or that night, but my husband said, you know, you can't drink anymore at all when you're home alone with him, like at all. Um, and so that was like probably the biggest kind of rule, I guess he put on me. Um, and two days later, um, after you know, I've had this physical hangover of two days. I'm now on to the emotional hangover that I have after that. That was kind of the thing that I did at that time too. So I had these really bad hangovers that lasted days. Um, I was just at work um on my computer and I I read a blog about a mom that didn't drink. And I was shocked. I had no idea that people just you know, she hadn't, hadn't gone to uh, a rehab. She didn't go to AA and do 12 step meetings. Um, she just decided she didn't want to drink anymore. And she, she did, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, um, listened to her on a podcast. I think I searched her and the author and, uh, listened to her on a podcast. And I, you know, messaged her on Facebook. I just typed her name in on Facebook and I sent her this big, long message, I still have it. It's so long. Um, and it was just like a cry for help. And I explained everything that happened, you know, the two nights before. And I said, um, you know, I, I know that I need to stop drinking. Um, you know, that morning after I fell, I woke up and I had bruises and cuts and I was sore from falling and who knows what else. Um, and I was just kind of like telling her all this. And I said, I know that I need to stop drinking and I don't, know, how I have no idea how, like, how do I, how do I do this? Like, this is who I am. This is part of uh, my identity. This is um, this is what I do. I don't do anything else. Like I don't have any hobbies. Like if you were to ask me back then what I did, it was like, we're going out or uh, we're hanging out and drinking, we're doing this and drinking, whatever it is, it was and drinking. Um, And so she, um, she gave me some, um, she gave me advice. She gave me podcasts and books, um, to listen to and read and Facebook groups and told me about sober Instagram, um, and all the, the resources that she knew about that helped her. And so I just really hit all that hard. Like I read all the books. I was reading like two books, two or three books a month. And at this time I had never had read a book since I was like, I don't even know if I read books when I was in college, you know? So I, um, hit all that alcohol-free stuff really hard and just, um, totally immersed myself in it. Um, and like I said, my husband doesn't drink, so there was no alcohol in the house to get rid of. Um, so that was really a plus for me. Um, I could kind of stay away from, um, the partying and the, you know, my friends were were they were having kids too. They were kind of like slowing down on the drinking. So it was kind of easy for me to just hide out for a little bit. Um, but I would say that whole first year of not drinking, I, um, I just worried about not drinking and like, how am I going to get through all these moments of um, alcohol? Cause it's everywhere. Um, I was so worried about the parties and the bachelorette parties and the barbecues and everything. And it was just uh, deal with it when it comes, um, you know, it, don't worry about that thing that's in two months um, because by then you're going to have two more months without alcohol. So it'll be easier. <clears throat> but um, so after year one, I was kind of Um, Like, okay, I can kind of chill out on all these, this quit lid and these podcasts. I can still listen to them, but maybe not like at all hours of the day. Um, And then I feel like right at, at the one year mark is where I was like, okay, who am I now though? Like, who am I? Okay. I'm not just the person who doesn't drink. Okay. I used to be somebody that drank and that was who I was. Now I got to figure out who I am without alcohol um, and how to deal with everyday life um, you know, that we, the stress and everything that we have to go through without trying to get a buzz at the end of the day. Um, so I, um, now, um, I, I do go to therapy now. Um, I started that last year. Um, and so, Uh, That's something I would suggest to people if they're, um, struggling or not struggling, actually, if you're not struggling, you should go to therapy because, uh, you kind of want to have something in place for those times when you, when you do start to struggle. So, um, I do that and, um, I'm just kind of, um, and to the point where like, I don't feel like, uh, I get kind of annoyed sometimes, like if, you know, people are drinking or if things are about alcohol only, um, but that's just kind of the world that we live in at this point. Like that's just society it's everywhere. So, um, I don't feel like I'm like triggered to drink or anything like that. Um, and now I'm kind of embracing this, uh, alcohol-free life with my sober Instagram account, um, at sobriety activist on Instagram. And so I'm kind of being the person now for people to uh, reach out to and to, um, ask questions and get advice kind of just how I did with the the woman from the beginning um, of my journey. So, um, I just feel like, um, not drinking, like, like since I've quit drinking, I've kind of just found this like secret. If I feel like it's a secret that we all know about, like to life that like, there's just so much more to life than, than like getting a buzz. Um, And, you know, there were good times getting a buzz. like, I I still miss that. I I can miss it and still be like, know that it's not best for me, for me to be my best self. But um, yeah, I just feel like not drinking is like the thing that really like unlocked me to figure out who I am as a person. I don't think I would have, I definitely would have not been um, as confident and motivated and doing all the things I'm doing now if I was drinking, I would not have any, any of the things that I, uh, have now with, with that. So, and I could be the best mom and wife as well. So that's it. (laughs) The end.
1: (laughs) Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I think it really is just, uh, you know, about being the best person you could be. Thanks Blair. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, there was so Uh much to that, that I really, really identified with Blair. That's, uh, Like I said, I mean, it doesn't seem to matter like what your pathway is. Um, but it seems like everybody that we talked to always had this sort of uneasy feeling growing up, like feeling like they didn't fit in. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I don't know, your story was, uh, was great. Yeah. No, I, I
0: I agree with you. The thing that you said there towards the end that uh, and I try to not be judgmental because, you know, I had a drinking problem and drug problem for a very long time. But to be around people that are drinking and use it now kind of gets uh, a little mm-hmm. under my skin. It's a little bit annoying now. And so I choose to not go around it. I'm around it as little as possible today, you know, and I can agree with you on that for sure. You know?
1: Yeah. Um. But- For sure. I'm actually like thinking about later today. I'm gonna be in that situation. Um, but uh but yeah, I you know, I wanna just talk about because we we um you know, we touched on earlier just this this idea again, you know, like we're we're 12-step, you're alcohol free, we're all sober, we're all in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um but I do wanna just mention that um, you know, I want to ask you a little bit about that. Blair, because I don't, we we here know what it's like to be sober, curious, and to have certain terminology really just turn us away from from uh, from a process of recovery. So, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to deciding that you weren't alcoholic, that you were actually alcohol free? Um, just for anybody that might be listening.
2: Yeah, sure. And I think I think the and I hate to say this, but I feel like the term alcoholic kind of goes with the stigma of like, uh, you know, you like we said earlier, the brown bag and the under the bridge. Uh, it's all I feel like at least maybe that's just how I thought of it. Um, and I don't I heard the term alcohol free like pretty early on in my um uh, journey, I guess you could say. Um, and and I was like, oh, that's like totally how I feel. Like the person who, and I don't remember the first time I heard it, but the person who was describing how they drank, um, and how they decided to stop and that whole thing. Um, and they use the term alcohol free, that's kind of where I got that. I just was like, that is what I feel like. I, I feel like um like, you know, I just say like, well, I quit drinking or I don't drink anymore. Or um you know, I don't typically even say like I'm in recovery um, mm-hmm. or like um, I don't even usually say like I'm sober, even though I am like I usually just say I don't drink anymore or I quit mm-hmm. drinking. Um, you know, people ask me why. And I say, because it doesn't. Um, my life is better without it. I can't have yeah. two. I can't have one. You know, my brain doesn't work that way. Um, so
0: I like that. yeah, just
2: talking about those different different ways. Um, and I also another thing like that I learned early on was, you know, like some of us drink and we uh, well, probably us us three here drink, and we're like, oh, this is really good. Like, I want to keep doing this, you know. But then other people's brains, when they can have one or two, like they drink, and they're like, oh yeah, this is this is good, this is all right. Yeah. Now I'm done, and I'm gonna move on, and I'm like, what do you mean you're done? <laughs> right. But I'm just getting started. Like we've got we've got till two. Yeah, we still like, got like, like five know,
0: hours left.
2: And mm-hmm. then the after bar, like so. Right. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. There's just like lots of different terms. I think people get scared too. Like that if they want to quit drinking, they have to say they're an alcoholic or, um, and, and I feel bad saying that cause I feel like it adds to the stigma that when I'm saying that, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. I don't, I haven't figured out a better way to say that. Well, here's my feelings. Yeah.
1: I mean, here's the thing is like, whether, whether it adds to the stigma or whether it, it doesn't add to the stigma. The bottom line is like we want we want somebody who is early in their recovery journey or alcohol free mm-hmm. journey or whatever it is to hear whatever it is they need to hear in order right. to know that there is hope. So if alcoholic is too scary a term, like I think that it's mm-hmm. important for people to know, like hey, like it doesn't have to. It doesn't have. It doesn't mean it that you have to go to AA. It doesn't mean. Mm-hmm that you have to identify as an alcoholic. It doesn't mean that you have to tell people that you're sober. Like it doesn't mean any of those things. Like what it means is you probably should stop drinking and see if your life doesn't improve. Mm -hmm. Um, right. And that's something for you that, um, that, that I think is important that that's why you're putting yourself out there like that. And that's why we have you on the show. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that we want everybody to know like, Hey, like, we, we know one way to get sober. Like that's just yeah, the reality. Yeah. We've talked right? about that several times. Yeah, like, exactly. So it's like, we, we want there to be, you know, as yeah. many opportunity for anybody else to hear what they need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So uh,
0: in your story, like, thank you for sharing your story. There, you talked mm-hmm. about some of the resources that you used personally. Um, You know, you were talking about the author and and podcaster that you reached out to that actually came back to you. And I'm I'm wondering if that person is still available, if other people can can find that same stuff, who it was uh, or can you share that stuff?
2: Yeah. So um, she was actually... um... She's a writer. Her name's Katie Bickle and she, um, she's more, she's in Canada. She's more of a, a fiction writer. She was, she had written a blog that I read for scary mommy. And that's where I, that's the blog that I read on the day, you know, Jan, or February 26th, 2018, that, that, that was the day that I decided to quit drinking, um, And then I, I, you know, looked her up and she was on some podcasts and she had shared her story kind of like, you know, I'm doing here, this kind of thing. And so then I reached out to her on Facebook and she told me, um, you know, read this naked mind that was by Annie Grace, that book, that one, like changed the way I thought about alcoholic. I learned so much from that book, this naked mind. Um, And then, um, Laura McCowan is another author who, um, has now wrote a book called, we are the luckiest, um, the surprising magic of a sober life, I think is what it's the book is. Um, but her blogs, um, and her podcasts that she used to have called home podcasts, um, with Holly Whitaker, another author, um, those things like just changed, changed my life, helped, helped me change my, my life. And then, um just like Facebook groups. There's tons of Facebook groups yeah. out there. Um, you know, Jill from sober powered, she has a, a podcast and a Facebook group and hers is more science-based. So if you're into that kind of thing, like that's good. And I love it. There's like all these different, mm-hmm. different kinds, yeah. you know, like you said earlier, Cameron, like, um, you know, if, you know, if, if you find, you know, a mom and you're going to send her my way, well, like that's the beauty of like the sober Instagram and the sober community online is because like, if I hear somebody tell me a story about their life. And I'm like, well, I didn't really deal with that. Or, you know, I can be like, but Hey, this person is dealing with that and they're talking about it out loud. So like, look at their account. And so like, I think it's just good to be a resource for people. Um, Cause not everybody's going to, you know, hear my story and say, yeah, me too. Right. You know, people will. And so the more we get close to, I mean, my story is not unique. Right. But like um, I think there's, like we said, lots of different, different stories out there. And so everybody can kind of see where they fit mm-hmm. basically.
1: Yeah. You find, you find your flavor of recovery, mm-hmm. right? Whatever you identify right. with, uh, is, is hopefully the one that, uh, that you'll, you'll be able to utilize to, to better your own life. Yeah. yeah so, that's the hope. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's what we're all after. And, and uh and I can't thank you enough yeah, for appreciate it. For coming on the show Blair for for yeah. talking to us about this. I might like to have you back one time and we can we can dove into um a little bit more of the stigma and uh and mm-hmm. and talk about that a little bit further. I feel like I'd like to dove into that just a little bit more. But Did you say dove? Isn't dove a
0: word? I thought it was dive. <laughs> that was like dive into. Dive. First I, I might like to
2: dive. I might like to dive,
0: dive into. Dive into it. You know, Blair dove into it. I, I thought you were must, on my side. It M- must be a dig. must be a Utah thing.
2: I'm a writer. <laughs> so like I
1: have. Sorry. Hey, hey you want to ask
2: my husband? You want to hear
1: a, a, a writing term that that yeah. I'm, you're about to blow Willie's mind. Ready? Uh Oh, Willie. What? Did you know that it's actually taken aback and not taken back? Did you know that? No.
2: Yeah. Taken aback.
1: Yeah. Like if I'm like, Oh, that, I'm that, taking that, it back. that process has, has taken, taken aback.
0: What, what, I, I was taken aback by what you just
1: said. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of taken back. Hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing I learned from another writer. So uh, yeah, you, I'm glad you guys are out well, there. Now we're learning how to get sober and write. <laughs> Perfect. It's proper terminology that Blair has come yeah. on here to help us with. Yeah. <laughs> <You're true. laughs> let's just let's just take a moment and thank Blair for thank not you, only Blair. her incredible story, um, but all the many many things she brings to the table. And yeah, I, thank you, Blair. Yeah, thank I, you.
2: I, You're welcome. I mean,
1: <laughs> I'm really I'm really glad that we were able to uh, establish this relationship. And and again, yeah, I want to uh, see if we can't get you back. So yeah, um, yeah, for sure, Blair. Thank you. I hope you have a good rest of the day. And uh, everybody watching, remember, you are worth the work. Blair, thank you. Jordan,
0: Ryland. I already closed it out. Did you say bye to Jordan and Ryland? <laughs> no. Well, we always say bye to Jordan. And bye, Rylan. Jordan. Bye, Ryland. Remember. <laughs> bye, Blair. <laughs> you are worth the work. Thank you, Blair. We'll see you on the other side.
1: The Other Side of Hell is a do it yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.